Brother Chris teach tonight, and I know you are too. All right. Thank you, Brian. You'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's where we are again. Our series called out, uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, and last time, uh, Paul dealt with supporting the man of God. And um, bless our pastor's heart, he was so nervous up here. It was, uh, I, I, he was looking down most of the time. So uh, anyway, but uh, you know, so it was good that I spoke on that instead of him. I know that made him a little more comfortable, but uh, uh, yeah, but uh, he's a wonderful pastor. And I know this church takes care of the pastor, so uh, that is good. Uh, overall, though, looking at this chapter, remind you once again, MacArthur explains it this way. He says in chapter 9, The Apostle Paul, of course, illustrates how he followed the principle uh, in his own life, this principle of he knows his liberty in Christ, yet he submits and puts that down in a way, suppresses that in order because of his love for others, okay? And so um, he illustrates this in verses 1 through 18. He discusses his right to be financially supported by those to whom he ministers. Okay, and then verses 1 through 14 set forth his right. Verses 15 through 18, he then gives reasons why he would not take advantage of this right. Um, And in verses 19 through 27, he explains that he would give up any and every right for the sake of winning men to Jesus Christ. And men and women, of course, is what he means. Um, But uh, so this is uh, we're going to finish up chapter nine tonight. And um, a reminder now what we talked about last time. Paul's not going to be saying, no, you don't need to do that after all. Uh, He's not saying at all. He spent way too much time on it. But he is going to be a special example Um, And so he's going to change that tonight. But once again, still holds what we talked about before uh, about ministers and what he had to say. Um, So uh, let's pray and we'll go into the message. Uh, Dear God, I pray that you would help me tonight to say what you'd have me to say and just uh, uh, use your word, dear Lord, and and what you've shown me through it. Um, Dear Lord, I in no way am someone that uh, stands up here as having arrived or having uh, completely, you know, like I've got an A on this whole thing, dear Lord, at work on my heart as well as I know that I felt convicted as I was even going through this. And so uh, I pray that you would just uh, use your word uh, for your purposes among your people. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, does anybody know who this fella is right here? Man, good job. Good job. Mike Singleton. Did anybody else going to get that right? Any other? No? Okay, good. He was on the, uh, the Super Bowl Bears, okay. Um, he was a linebacker, and uh, he tackled a lot of people. And he tackled a lot of people, okay, each and every game. Hall of Famer, um, and uh, voted, actually, I'm not sure what the actual thing was, but at the time, whenever they did the voting, he was voted as one of the top 100 players of all time in the NFL. Look at his eyes. I mean, those eyes. Can you imagine if you're on offense and seeing that looking at you and knowing that he wants to tackle whoever has the ball? I mean, that's the kind of guy that he was. And about him, it said, those who watch Mike Singletary play are usually surprised when they meet him. He's not an imposing Hulk. He's barely six foot tall. I think about 5'11", actually. Uh, Weighs maybe 220. So whence the greatness Mike Singletary is as disciplined a student of the game as any who's ever played it. 
And watching game films, if you're not what they're talking about, if you're not quite so familiar with what they're talking about, it's not talking about he just likes to go watch game films. This is before he plays somebody, he watched films on them. And he watches to see what they do, okay? It says he would run a play 50 to 60 times. A play, he would watch a certain play and do that, okay? And it said it would take him three hours to watch half a football game to do this when he's preparing for the next team he's going to play, which is only 20 to 30 plays. Because he watches every player, because he mentally knows the opposition's tendency, because he reads the opposition's mind through their stances, he's watching for what they do. When that guy does that thing right there, I know he's going to do this. I'm going to be there. (laughs) That was his mentality. Okay. He is often moving toward the ball's pre-planned destination before the play develops. He's already there. He's that diligent, that studious, that disciplined. There is nothing that's distracting him. Mike Singletary's legendary success is testimony to his remarkably disciplined life. And so that's what made him one of the best defenders of all time. And he was a terror because of that. He was disciplined in what he did. Tonight we're going to talk about spiritual discipline. Now this is in the context of what has been talked about in chapter 8 and what will be talked about in chapter 10 too. This is Paul knowing his rights, his liberties, but not asserting them. In fact, even suppressing them, giving them up, if you will, sometimes for a greater cause. Okay, and with this takes a spiritual discipline. Uh, So first of all, we're not going to read through all the verses. You can see it's 15 through 27. So we're going to read through them as we go instead of reading through them all at the front end and then going through them again. Um, so first of all, and you're, uh, if you're, uh, you're filling the blanks there, soul-focused is what you would have. He was soul-focused, okay? That's what Paul was focused on, all right? Verse 15 says, but I have used none of these things. What things? The things that he, we, talk, we were talking about before to where he made a, a great case and Paul is a wonderful persuasive speaker. He knows that to make an argument that churches should, should support ministers, okay? And him in particular, he had a case for this. He says, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done so unto me. He's going to make an exception of himself. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory void. This part, for it were better for me to die. I mean, that's quite a statement. He says, I mean, that's a pretty, that's putting it way up on the priority list, isn't it? It's better for me to die than that any man should make my glory void. Now, glory here, you're like, should you really be glorying yourself, Paul? Is that right? I mean, I know you're Paul, but you know, that's not what he's saying. He is talking about his basis for rejoicing. He means the Corinthians, that they've been saved, other people getting saved. That's what he's talking about. And he doesn't want to make that void. Um, Many people uh, talk about Paul and what they believe is, is that he being the premier missionary, the first one in many of these places, that there was in that day and time, especially in these Greek places, there were traveling, not preachers, but speakers. And I don't mean that they were religious necessarily, but they would go along and they would speak and people would pay them to speak and they would do that. And sometimes, you know, it was just sophistry, stuff they would speak. It wasn't even quite right, you know, whatever. But they were great orators and people loved to listen to them. And so uh, they would do that. Paul wants people to know that he's not part of that bunch. It's not what he's doing. He's not out here to make money. 
And so for that, many people believe that's why Paul uh, turned down, which was his right to be paid. He decided, you know what? I'm going to forgo that right. I'm dropping this right because I don't want anything to get in the way of the gospel. I don't want anybody to think that I have any other reason for telling them what I'm telling them other than that it's true. That's what I want it to be. And so he is making himself kind of a different type of thing than what he's talked about in the first few verses. Okay, so he doesn't, he says, that's why it's better for me to die than that any man should make my glory void. Okay, he says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. He says, I don't have any glory. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He says two things. He says he is compelled to preach the gospel. He says, look, don't brag on me. There's no glory for me. Here's the deal. I, it's, I do want to, but the deal is God has commanded me to go. I have a call. I cannot lay it down. It is my call to go and preach. It's not only that, but woe unto me. And this isn't just a statement he's making. He's talking about the deal that God's punishment, even I believe, his discipline, or perhaps you would say, would be upon Paul if he didn't. He says, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. That's the deal. Okay, woe unto me. So he says, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me. And he says, he is doing this willingly. But what he's saying is, this is God's call. This wasn't something that I was sitting around one, one day and thought, you know what? I think I'll go preach the gospel. It wasn't like that. This was God's call on his life, and he was following it as many times he would call himself a slave to Jesus Christ. Now, he does want to do it, but he's letting them know, don't glory in me that I'm doing it. The deal is, I'm just doing what God's called me to do. All right, God has placed it upon me. And he says, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me. Dispensation here means stewardship. This is God's call in his life, and he has a responsibility to do what God has called him to do. He is not to drop the ball here. Okay, so you can see Paul's not just doing this out of this, well, it'd be great for me to do this. He carries, in a way, a burden on himself that this is what he's supposed to do. Now, he willingly does it, and he's all for it. But you have to understand, that's his thinking. So if someone says, man, it's really great what you're doing, he's, he's like, you shouldn't glory in that, whatever. It's not no glory to me. God's called me to do this. I have to do it. I've got to do this. Okay, now he wants to, yes, but, but that's, that's the angle that he's coming at here. And he says, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Um, Warren Wiersbe says this, he says, what was Paul's reward? The joy of preaching the gospel without charge. This meant that no man could accuse him of underhanded motives or methods as he shared the good news of Jesus Christ. So this doesn't nullify what he said in those verses before about, you know, it's good to pay. You should pay your take care of your your ministers and that. But he's doing this for a reason. He's like, you know what? And that's good. And I could accept that. But I am not going to because for me, I don't want anything to stand in the way of the gospel for me. And so he made himself an exception. But remember, in so doing, what Paul's doing is showing, look, if I can drop my liberties, my rights for a higher calling, you should too, 1 Corinthians. You Corinthians should do this too. And, well, all of us should. 
Okay, and I know that's a big thing for us Americans because we got our rights. But, uh, but, you know, there's times when rights is not the preeminent thing. And we have to remember that. We're citizens of a higher country. And so those goals should be our goals. Okay, once again, I'm speaking to myself tonight as well uh, going through this. So um, you can see how advantageous this is for Paul to have, have this mindset as he goes into lands and preaches this new thing. But they find out, oh, how much do we, that was awesome. Um, how much do we pay you? No, you don't need to. What? No, I just want you to know the truth. I mean, that's a pretty awesome deal that Paul was doing. So first of all, he was soul focused. Now, second of all, he had self-denial. He had self-denial. In verse 19, he says, for though I be free from all men, nobody has a claim on Paul. Okay. Yet I have made myself servant unto all. Literally, the literal Greek there says I enslaved myself. I enslaved myself. Why? That I might gain the more, not gain money, gain souls. That's why Paul is doing this. His whole deal, he says, I've made myself a servant. I've dropped my rights for others. Why? So I can get them the gospel. That's my main goal, okay? Self-denial here. And so he will go through these verses and he wants to be, he's going to give some, this thing where he wants to be like others, but I don't want you to think he's like King Louis the orangutan to Mowgli in the Jungle Book. You know, ooby-doo, I want to be like you, I want to walk like you, talk like you. No, that's not what he's doing. Some of you got that going through your head right now. Um, Yeah, so... What I've done now, and I'm going to give you several quotes, and the reason is is because I know there are some knee-jerk reactions um, in really good churches that are conservative against these verses and the way they're interpreted. So I want to give you plenty of backup so it's not just Brother Chris's word. I want you to hear what some other people have to say about what Paul is saying here. MacArthur says he, Paul, would modify his habits, his preferences, His entire lifestyle, if any of those things cause someone to stumble, to be offended, or to be hindered from the faith in the Lord. Now, he's not talking about biblical principles here. He won't curve those. But as far as Paul's preferences and different things like that, he's willing to submit those things, to downplay those things, to ignore those things for the cause of Christ to reach others. Charles Colson said this, Paul was no chameleon changing colors to adapt to different environments. His message in all contexts was the same, but his manner of communication differed according to the understandings of his audience. And so he would make himself more like those people and acceptable to them in in certain ways in order, why? To reach them. Charles Stanley says this, Paul never compromised his convictions or his calling, but he was more than willing to find common ground and meet his audience wherever they happened to be. More than anything, he wanted to lead people to life in Christ. This is what he's doing. So you'll see some verses where he's doing this in just a moment, but I'm leading you up to, to those to show you what these different people, which, you know, I respect, not that I agree with everything they say, but, but you know, um, and what they're saying about these same verses and helping you to understand what he was willing to do. Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah says this, the fact that Paul varied his behavior depending on the audience does not make him a hypocrite. On the contrary, he chose not to exercise certain freedoms in certain contexts in order to minister more effectively to that community, whatever community he might be in. 
Christians must be mindful of how their freedom or perceived lack thereof might negatively color their witness for Christ. Preferences should be set aside for the greater good, the receptivity of one's audience. And basically, he's talking about for them to hear the gospel. Christians should be willing to do this. Okay, so here's examples. He says, unto the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. What? Gain them to Christ. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Okay, that's what he's saying. And he actually did examples of this. Now, he's trying, in other words, not to offend religiously. He's not going to change his message. His message is the gospel. The message never changes. But he's trying, you know, outside of that message, not to offend them. Why? Because he wants to reach them. Okay, his goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to win them to Christ. All right. So, in fact, some examples. Paul had Timothy circumcised as an adult to be accepted better among the Jews in Acts 16.3. These are quite, those are, that's a pretty big deal. Paul willingly paid for and participated in a Jewish purification ceremony with four other Jewish Christians in Acts 21. Why? Kind of to make the waters kind of die down a little bit and calm the waters in some areas. That's what he was doing. Why? Because he cared for the Jews. Now, with this, we should say, of course, that the Jewish religion is very close to Christianity. Okay, obviously, you know, uh, Jesus was a Jew and, you know, our entire Old Testament written by Jews. And so we get all of this. All right. So obviously it's not a far stretch, you know, to go from there to Christianity as opposed to, say, Islam or something like that. But there's no need for us Christians to go out of our way to offend people in other religions. Nobody says we have to hold back. I'm not for this tolerance thing or anything, and I don't think God is either. You preach the word, you teach the word, you speak the word, you say what it is, you tell what the gospel is, and that's fine. But there's no reason for me to be offensive about it. There's no reason for me necessarily on Facebook to make fun of other religions. There's not. You tell me, I know it makes us feel good sometimes. It makes us like, well, I'm just standing my ground and showing what I believe. Yeah, How good is that at winning a Muslim for Christ? Is it? Probably not. Probably a better approach is to become that person's friend. Show, listen to what they believe in. Look at the differences. You don't have to agree with it. And work your way from there. That's the Paul approach. Okay? And so, yeah, this is what he would do. He says to the Jews, I become as a Jew. Not that he discounts Christianity, but... He is willing to go along with them and talk with them in a way that he is accepted by them. Why? Because the gospel is the number one thing for him. Okay, he says to them in the next verse, to them that are without the law, these are the Gentiles, um, as without the law. Okay, so he, didn't, he, though a Jew, he didn't come in and with all his Jewish heirs and that type thing and, you know, and talk about the law and all that with them that much. Not really. You know, if you read about his approach when he went to Athens, he does none of that. It's a totally different approach than he uses with the Jewish people. He uses a different approach. Why? Because they're different. They still need the gospel. He's going to give them that. Okay. And he says, to them they're without the law as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. Why? That I might gain them that are without the law. 
He participated in Gentile things. You know, I bet Paul went to some sporting events or whatever. Why? He could talk to people. He's not going to get involved in things that are bad. Okay, but he's not going to sit at home and just like not meet with people. He's going to be where they're at. He's going to be in their circles. I mean, he would go to the marketplace and different places like that uh, and talk with them. And so he says, then the next verse, he says, to the weak became I as weak. Hey, whatever state they're in, whatever state they're in, Paul didn't look down on people. Whatever state they're in, he wanted to connect with people so he could reach them. That I might gain the weak. He says, I am made all things to all men that by all means, that I might by all means save some. Once again, he's not compromising the gospel. He's not compromising the word. What he's doing then is dropping any preferences and this type of things that he has so he can connect with people because he wants them to get saved just like God wants them to get saved. That's what he's doing. And this is something that's hard for us. It's hard for many of us. It is. And we can sit here and talk about it here, but then it, it gets a little bit difficult uh, sometimes when we, we get out among people and certain issues come up or whatever, you know, um, He says in verse 23, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. His whole point is the gospel. That is his focus. He wants people to be saved. That's his focus. He's not saying don't stand for what the word of God says. He does. But he's willing to drop preferences and a lot of other things in order to reach people. Warren Wiersbe says this, a good witness tries to build bridges, not walls. I think that's a really good statement from a great teacher, Warren Wiersbe. A good witness tries to build bridges, not walls. I am forgetting the guy's name I watched one time. Oh, it's Todd Friel. That's who it was. And he talked about He was talking about the issues of homosexuality and doing a thing on that um, and some other things. And then he made this statement because he's talking about reaching uh, folks that are dealing with that sin, um, that type of thing. And and he and and notice they did call it sin, but he's talking about reaching them what with the gospel. And so he said around the water cooler. Now, I don't know how many water coolers there are that go on at businesses anymore. That used to be the deal, the water cooler. Now everybody's got their water bottle or whatever they're carrying with them, you know. But, some, but anyway, he said around the water cooler, he goes, here's my question to you. Do people know you more at work as a Christian or as a conservative Republican? And you know which one's the right answer. Which one do they know you more as? On Facebook, do people know you more as the same thing? See, that's the real question. Well, I need to stand up for so-and-so. I believe you do, both the right way, and I get all that. I get all that. But when it comes to reaching a person with the gospel, what's more important? See, this is what Paul would be saying. This is what Paul, I'm not saying, he wouldn't say to drop your issues or anything, but what are you more concerned about? Making sure people know what your stance is on everything, or that they know Christ? And we all know the right answer, don't we? Yeah, this is one of the things where we kind of get the head knowledge, but it's when we go and walk with it, you know, that it makes a little difference. My prayer for me, please change, change my heart, make it more like God, that I see people the way that he does, as people he wants to save. 
man, I, I need him to continue to change my heart. I'm just being honest with you, you know, um, to be more like that. You know, I've got all my positions, boy, and I can argue him to a T. Like, I mean, let's go at it. Sure. That's not going to win somebody to Christ. Not that I got to drop them, but I just need to get my focus right in many times. Yeah. And I think Paul, that's what Paul is, is saying. He's like, look, whoever it is, the Jews, the Gentiles, whoever it is, look, my main deal is that they get saved. I can fix that other stuff after that. They need to get saved. Okay. So the third thing is here self control. So his, his focus is the gospel, and he's dropping everything for that. That's the number one thing, okay, is the gospel. He's also denying himself, his preferences, the what, what, what's in him that's yearning to just bust out and say, no, that's a dumb thing. That God didn't even exist. you got those stupid statues over there, you people in Athens. You know, that's no. He's, got, he's going to suppress that, and he's going to mention it in a way, but then he's going to go, if you've read the chapter, he's going to talk about their, their one to the unknown God. Now, that one, you got one over there? Let me tell you about that guy. Yeah, that kind of thing. That's what he's going to do. Okay. the third thing is self-control. In order to accomplish this, we have to have self-control. And he goes to these verses that many of you, I'm sure, have read before. Many believe that Paul, in these next verses, is using imagery imagery from the Isthmian Games. Uh, These were held both the year before and the year following the Olympic Games. They were a big deal. They were very popular. People came from all over to these games. And so 1 Corinthians 9.24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. Now, what he's not saying is, okay, go and see if you can beat everybody else in the church at being the best Christian. That is not what he's saying. Okay, so we're not in competition as Christians with each other. All right, that's not what he's saying here. But he is saying just as these runners goal is to be first place and they discipline themselves and they work hard at it. We should have that kind of fervor. We should have that kind of discipline, okay? And that's what he means when he says, so run that you may obtain. Hopefully this next clip will play for you. It's Francis Chan, um, and I came across this years ago. The, it's a little bit foggy, the video is, but anyway. Um, in this video, he's going to illustrate with a balance beam. You guys have seen in the Olympics before, you know, uh, where they get on there, do their routines and balance on it, of course, you know, do all this stuff. And he's going to make a really great point about that. So uh, if you guys could play that uh, right now. And we get a little worried. We get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky and things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay. That was nuts. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here and, uh, I'm just going to hold on. And, uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so th- you want to die like this. 
just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes... <laughs> what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge they're standing before the judge and you think he's going to look at that routine and go wow, well done well done you lived the safest life possible you didn't slip, you didn't fall See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. I think it's, uh, that's convicting to me every time I watch that. It is. And we see how ludicrous and how funny it is. I mean, I've seen it a bunch of times. It still made me laugh. And yet it makes a great point. It really does. Uh, yeah, we're supposed to so run, okay? Dr. David Jeremiah says this. He says, too often today, Christians are content to merely be in the race rather than diligently paying the price to win. That's what he says. As far as what he's saying about being diligent in this, um, some background historical research, a passage from uh, Pictetus, a Greek Stoic philosopher, says, uh, would you be a victor in the Olympic Games? And of course, this would apply to the Isthmian Games as well, what Paul is referring to. He says, so in good truth would I, for it's a glorious thing. But pray consider what must go before. What may follow and so proceed to the attempt? You must then live by rule. Eat what will be disagreeable. Refrain from delicacies. You must oblige yourself to constant exercises at the appointed hour in heat and cold. You must abstain from wine and cold liquors. In a word, you must be as submissive to all direction of your master as to those of a physician." This is what he's talking about when he's saying that he's disciplined. He says in verse 25, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. This is what he's talking about being temperate. They had these rules to even be in those races and run. You had to qualify. And so you had to be disciplined enough. They didn't do just anybody running them. You had to be disciplined and qualify. And this is what Paul is saying of course, we're all saved by grace, so that's not what he's talking about. Well, what he's talking about is running the race as one that is disciplined like one of those runners that has a life. And what he's going through, all this other stuff, once again, he's not going to a new topic here. He's talking about the right focus, denying self, denying these other things that my flesh wants and what everybody else is doing. Why? For the priorities of heaven. That's what he's talking about here. That's what these runners do. They've got a mindset. Yes, everybody else is eating this other stuff. I'm not eating that because that's going to mess up my body. 
I won't be able to run right. Oh, well, you know, hey, we're going to go to this thing over here. No, I've got to exercise. That's that's their mindset. And he's saying that's the kind of discipline that he's talking about for that he has, that he engages in and that he thinks that the Corinthians ought to do as well. Not going along and boasting how great they are and whatever and having this thing and that thing. That's what he's saying. And he says this, he says, and look at this, they do all this, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible, this next picture shows you, in fact, what they would strive for. It's just a wreath uh, type thing. This is like in some museum, I think, or whatever, um, that they would strive to, to have put on their heads. And of course, with that came the glory of winning. But who knows? Does anybody know the winners of any of these games? We don't know today. It was the glory for the moment. But Paul says, look, if you do this for Jesus, you are getting a crown. And the Bible talks about different crowns that you win. You are being rewarded, and it's eternal reward. This is a bigger, bigger thing than the games that everybody was going crazy over. How much more to be disciplined in that way than even these guys are. And he says in verse 26, I therefore so run. Not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. This first part reminds me, I think everybody has seen some kids in a t-ball game before to where they don't know which base you're supposed to run to. Yeah, Paul is saying that is not the way I'm running, okay? I'm not running that way. I know where I'm going, and that's my focus, and nobody's getting me off of that, okay? I therefore so run. Not as uncertainly, I know what my goal is. He also says, not as one that beateth the air, and theologians will banter about about whether this is talking about shadow boxing or if this is talking about missing your opponent. Either way, the effect is I'm not hitting anybody. There are no effective blows thrown whether I'm shadow boxing or missing my opponents. Also, it's not me. I'm focused. I'm focused on landing every punch. That's my deal. That's the kind of discipline that I'm talking about. Um, Verse 27, he says, But I keep under my body um, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. This part I keep under my body. Also, in some places, it will say to buffet my body, not to buffet my body, but to buffet my body. Um, This literally means to bruise the eye. Paul says, look, I'm willing to give myself a black eye. I'm willing to put my body in its place in order that I can achieve what I'm supposed to do. Now, this part, maybe some of the runners would be like, Paul, what are you talking about? You know, what he's saying this, and actually uh, a few hundred years before, Aristotle actually understood even this whole thing, not even a Christian, obviously. He says, those who successfully resist temptation have appetite and desire, and yet follow thought and refuse to enact that for which they have appetite. What Aristotle would say, and then some others like Aquinas would pick up on this, is that my thoughts and my will, that is a higher power than what my body wants me to do, than my senses and my appetites, my cravings. And um, even some theologians will argue that's exactly what happened in the, in the garden, is man chose some sensual type things 
over the higher things that he should have gone for. And what, what we're saying here is Paul says, yeah, those things my body and my flesh want to do, I'm willing to beat them to a pulp to follow what I'm supposed to follow. Those urges that want me to do this or that, no, I will beat them. I will give them a black eye if need be in order to follow what I'm supposed to follow, to do what I'm supposed to do. Okay, and you're saying, man, I'm hearing that, but that is tough. You know, I fail in an area. I agree with you, me too. You know where we fail? It's because we do it in our own power. We will never be able to do that in our own power. Praise the Lord. The word of God says this. Be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's where the key is to doing this whole thing. Because Galatians 5.16 says this. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. And I think I've said it before in the Bible to walk is simply saying your step by step of actions that I take each day is a walk. Okay, and if I walk in the spirit, it means that I'm filled with the spirit and walking in his way, doing actions, making daily decisions in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. And what happens? Ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's not like some kind of pop psychology. That's inspired word of God. If I walk in the spirit 24 hours a day. Now, I'm going to tell you that it's probably I'm not I'm going to stray from it probably here and there somewhere. Something's going to happen. But if I do that 24 hours a day, here's the deal. I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Is that arrogant to say? No, I'm claiming God's word. It's what it says. The deal is, if I will allow the Spirit to control me all the time, he will keep me from fulfilling the lust of the flesh. That's where the power comes to do what Paul's talking about. That's where it comes. He says this once again, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, this is not talking about losing your salvation. All right, it's not. But there are two things that are involved in this. Number one is the idea of losing rewards. Paul said, I could do all this stuff, and if I don't keep my body in subjection, and I don't keep my cravings under the power of the Holy Spirit, I could lose all the rewards that I've worked for. Not only that, I could lose effective service. I could be ineffective in doing what I've been talking about, winning other people to Christ, changing other people's lives. I could be ineffective if I allow that to happen. And Paul's like, I'm not going to do that. This is why I'm disciplining myself. MacArthur ends this, I think, very well and gets us back to the overall picture of this whole thing and actually leads this into the next uh, chapter. Even good things can interfere with the best. Fulfillment of freedoms can interfere with fulfillment of love. Following our own ways can keep others from knowing the way. Souls are won by those who are prepared to be used when the Spirit chooses to use them. And so this is the mindset that Paul had. And so as I went through this, I literally, I'm just going to confess to you, as I started going through these verses, I was so convicted, I just said, I can't do this, God. I can't get up and speak to these people about this. I need to go and make sure, go a few weeks and make sure that I get better at this myself before I can come and speak. But I felt, no, you're supposed to go speak it. So just so you know, I've already been convicted enough and still convicted by it as I'm speaking to you tonight. Um, 
But uh, may God use this for all of us to follow and be more like what Paul's talking about and have this mindset. Um, And I think we do, that God will do amazing things through us in our church, on our jobs, the people that we can each reach, uh, in our certain circles that we have. Um, And so, so yeah, so I stand here convicted. You know, if nobody else is, I stand here convicted uh, going through these verses. So... Thank you, and uh, Ron, if you'll come forward.